Shabbat Shalom. It is good to be back. Good to be back. And today we're going to start an adventure in the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk or all of the other multitude of ways that you could pronounce it. I like Habakkuk. It is what it is. To our forefathers Israel. So it's somewhere in the midst of your scriptures. Hopefully you're familiar with the prophet's words. Why on earth did I choose to take us on this little adventure on the book of Habakkuk? What was the world of Habakkuk? What was the world in which he was living? It was a place where justice never goes forth, except in a perverted, perverted form. Similitudes abound. Similitudes abound. So Habakkuk's book really is about faithful saints of whatever era, whatever era, who find themselves living in the meantime. Because when I came out of the church in the early 2000s, I was convinced that we were going to be coming into the tribulation in any month. I remember being at Sukkot in um, 2005 down in Oklahoma and um, Hurricane Katrina was happening and people were going around the camp. This is it. We're about to go into the tribulation. And then... We had to live in the meantime. It didn't happen. And then I was totally convinced when Obama got voted in that we were really going to be heading into the apocalypse. And we got through that. And then I was totally convinced when the 2008 stock market crash and the mortgages were all falling apart that we were were heading into the tribulation. And with all, all of that, I've had to live like you In the meantime, how do we live in the meantime? That is what the prophet's call is. When, you know, things don't quite turn out the way that you expect them to turn out. When the biblical timeline doesn't quite pan out the way that you thought it should. When you thought the apocalypse was around the corner, yet Yahweh still doesn't act. When you see that wickedness is availing and there's no justice, there's no judgment, and the wicked are prospering, you have to live in the meantime. How are you going to live? How is your, are you going to give up the faith? Because Yahweh didn't act when you thought he was going to act. Are you going to give up the faith because Yahweh didn't answer your prayer in the time that you expected your prayer to be answered? Are you going to give up the faith because things didn't quite work out the way that you thought when you were reading your Bible? How will you and I live in the meantime? This is why I chose this book. Because things haven't worked out the way I thought. And here I am, living in the meantime. How will I live? Will I continue the good fight? Will I be a righteous zealot, even in the midst of disappointment? Even in the midst of things not quite turning out the way that I thought they would. Because Habakkuk's book is about you And about me. It's about faithful saints of whatever era who find themselves 
living in the meantime. In the time between the revelation of Yahushua the Messiah and his impending return. So, this is an adventure for me because it's an internal struggle that enables me continually to be able to live in the meantime. That's why I chose this book. Because I'm not, surely, I'm not the only saint who's come to the realization that things may not be as an impending as I thought maybe that they would be. Surely, I'm not the only saint who's left examining my life, my faith, living it out in the meantime. And that is, I realize, what Yahweh is looking for all along. That's what Yahweh was looking for. It's what the prophets did. They lived in the meantime. This is the true measure of the man that I realize. This is the true faith. How will you and I live in the meantime? Amongst the disappointment. Amongst the wickedness that prospers. The lack of judgment, the unanswered prayers, the vexing, the trials, the aloneness, the abandonment. How will you and I live? That's what Yahweh requires of us. When your vision blurs and you can't see the wood for the trees, you don't hear the voice of Yahweh. And you feel alone? How will you live then? How will I live then? This is how Habakkuk lived. And that's why I wanted to teach this book. That's why I wanted to teach this book. Because it's the true measure of the man. How do we measure up in the meantime? How does Matthew Nolan measure up in the meantime? When things don't work out the way that I thought they would work out. How do I measure up in the meantime? How does our faith stack up in light of disappointment? In light of discouragements? In light of missed opportunities? How does your faith stack up then? Well, mine stacks up strong because I'm still here living in the meantime. And so are you. You're still here. We're still here. We're still on our knees. We're still in the word. We're still Walking away from the world and all that it entices us with. We're still seeking Yahuwah in the meantime. And that is Habakkuk. That is Habakkuk. His name is spelled in the Hebrew. He, Bet, Kuv, Vav, Kuf. Habakkuk. Now the Assyrian culture... They had invaded the culture of believers. They had invaded the culture of believers in Israel. And Israel, at the time, it was seriously compromised. Seriously compromised. It was actually at threat level. Syncretism. Dispassionateness abounded. Do we find ourselves in a society similar to that? 
That's another reason that I chose to teach this prophetical work. Because today you'll find similitudes abound. We're at threat level in our culture. As syncretism and dispassionateness abounds. People slip back. People that I once fellowship with. People that you once prayed with. They've slipped back into the smooth paths of the world because our expression of faith and commitment is just too hard. It's too trying on our relationships, isn't it? It's just too trying. We're so abrasive to the world. It's just too difficult. Oh, the ridicule that comes upon us because of the faith. Oh, let's just slip back. Into the smooth paths. No, I won't. But how many have? Oh, I just, I'm just so tired of standing out for my beliefs. I'm just, you know, it's okay to go. No, it's not okay to go back. Once you have set your hand to the plow, you better not go back to Sunday church. You better not go back to Christmas. You better not go back to those things if you've set your hand to the plow. Because if you do, then you are not worthy of the kingdom of heaven with those smooth paths that are so enticing. And where is everybody? Slipping and sliding, slipping and sliding. We are at threat level, as the prophet Habakkuk was. People have tried on the faith. They didn't like the fit. You know, it was uncomfortable. So they slide back into anonymity as they find fault with each other instead of finding fault with their own inward man. Right? Too easy. Way too easy. Now, there was an Assyrian plant called the Ham... um, This is difficult for me to pronounce because I don't speak Assyrian. But there was an Assyrian plant called the Hambakuku. The Hambakuku. And when that word is actually compared with the Hebrew word for Habakkuk, which is the He-Bet-Kuf-Vav-Kuf, which means to embrace, we find that the prophet's name is actually a remez, a hint to the nation that has embraced the Assyrian culture. That's what his name is hinting at. The nation, Israel, had embraced The Assyrian culture. Now, if the Assyrians is a similitude for the world, then this is addressed to believers that have slipped back through the smooth paths and they're now back embracing the world. Because, you know, the fit of our faith, it was just too tight. It was just a little bit abrasive against their skin. Will you give up? You tried it on. And now you slide back. Heavens forbid. No, heavens forbid. The majority of believers in the traditional sense, they have embraced the Assyrian way, the way of the world. And they've slipped into an Assyrian culture, if you will. Habakkuk, he bet kuf, vav kuf. It means to marshal against the embrace of the Assyrian culture. Will we marshal against the embrace 
of the worldly Assyrian culture. Habakkuk, a true prophet with a burning zeal and a burning passion for Yahuwah. And that's how I choose to live. As mad as you may think I am in the meantime. It's that burning passion that drives me. And you know what? The harder it gets, the more burning of passion I get. Because it's the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh in us that fires us up to continue to keep the faith in trying and pressing and uncomfortable circumstances when most people's fires begin to dwindle and the smooth paths entice them back into anonymity. Anonymity is not for you and not for I. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1. It is written. The burden which Habakkuk the Navi the prophet did see. Oh Yahuwah. How long shall I cry? And you won't even hear me. How long shall I cry and you shall not hear? Even cry out to you because of violence that is all around me. And you, you will not save. I can't tell you how many times I walk in the cities of this nation. Whether it be Dallas, Texas. Whether it be Los Angeles. Whether it be Salem, Oregon. And I see wickedness abound. And I do often cry out to Yahweh when I am walking by myself. And people go, well, who is that man talking to? Well, I'm talking to the Heavenly Father out in public. And it is what it is. Because I, I see the homelessness. The wretchedness. The debauchery all around. And I go, Why? Why do the wicked seem to prosper? Yet the righteous suffer. I'm drawn to Habakkuk because of his prophetic message. His burden isn't just directed outward toward the nation. But it's actually birthed from within. Drawn from his own inner struggle and inner questions of his Elohim. This is not about just words directed out to the nation of Israel. But answers to Habakkuk's own painful questions. The questions come from his own pain. His own inward pain. And if you want to know, you may not want to, but I'll tell you anyway. If you want to know the driving element that keeps me going, that keeps me coming back, standing up here, even in the midst of all of the ridicule, all of the gossip and slander and maliciousness. Do you know what keeps me coming back? It's not because I'm just some holy, righteous person. No, it's my own pain my own struggle with Yahweh that keeps me coming back to the word to find solace and answers to my own pain, to my own struggles. Struggles over my past, struggles over my present, struggles over the future, struggles over our future. And I'm going to find answers in the word. But the reason I'm here. It's because this is birthed out of my struggles with my Elohim. Your Elohim. We serve the same Elohim. And he 
He requires us to struggle with Him. And our walk will never be the same. And the world will look at you like a cripple. Because you've got a strange gait. A limp. Because you are Yaakov. Jacob, who is Israel. You struggle with Elohim and you prevail. I prevail. That's what keeps me coming back. I prevail. I will not let go of the blessing. Because taste and see that Yahweh is good. And once you have tasted and you have seen, you can never let go, can you? That's our struggle, brethren. And we're in it together. We are in it to win it together. I seek Yahweh not, not only for His glory. I'm just sharing with you from my heart. Because people put me on a pedestal. And I should never be put on a pedestal. I don't just seek Yahweh for His glory. I know you think I do, but I don't. But for answers to my own pain. I seek Yahweh for answers to my own pain. Yes, I seek to glorify Him and for His glory. But that's not all. I seek Yahweh for answers to my own pain, my own struggle, my own hopelessness, my own fears. And He's always faithful. Always faithful to me. Even in the silence in between. That's why I chose to teach the book of Habakkuk. Because me and Habakkuk, you and Habakkuk, we are bound as a threefold cord with the presence of the master. People that seek Yahweh. Dialogue with Yahweh and persistent prayer is what keeps us like the prophet going. Sharing Yahweh's burden with the world. And Yahweh does have a burden for the world. Even though we may see that he is not acting in the timing that we would hope that he would act. Why do you show me iniquity, verse 3, and cause me to behold perversity? For ruin and violence are before me. And there are strife and contention that arise. Therefore, the Torah is slack. The law is slack. And mishpat, judgment, it doesn't seem to go forth. For the wicked doing clothes around the zadakim, the righteous. Therefore, wrong rulings go forth. See among the nations, the heathen nations, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Are you not, Yahweh, from everlasting, O Yahweh, my Elohim, my Kadosh, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Yahweh. You have ordained them for mishpat, judgment. And, O mighty Elohim, you have established them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. And you cannot look upon iniquity. Why do you then look upon them that act treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours the man that is more zadik, more righteous than he? And make men as fishes of the sea as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. 
These are the questions of Habakkuk. Now, when was this written? What was the date? What was the occasion? Well, this was written and penned during the life of the southern kingdom. Around 609 to 600 before the common era. Now, the wicked of verse 4 refers to those within the house of Judah, the Jews themselves. Now, the Babylonians at this time, they had defeated the Assyrians and the Egyptians in the five years prior to this message. And they had now subjected Philistia and now Judah itself. This is the setting. Now, Habakkuk's message is framed within a time of Babylonian domination. Babylonian domination. What better time for you and I to heed the prophet's calling when we too find ourselves when? Living in the meantime in a setting of the time frame of mystery Babylon's world domination. That's the life that we live. We live, the similitudes abound because mystery Babylon's global domination is the life and time frame of which you and I exist. There has never been, never in the whole history of the world such a mystery global world domination than there is presently. Never. Never. The similitudes abound. What happens? What happens when we find ourselves living in that type of environment? What do we do when we have a burning passion for the honor of Yahuwah like Habakkuk, yet we find that Yahweh is seemingly, seemingly indifferent to the appalling spiritual condition of man all around us. I'm like, Yahweh, how can you let those laws go through? Yahweh, how can those people still be allowed to do such abominations without judgment? How come the whole culture is accepting of this high-handed affront to you and you do nothing? And now we're even more weird because we're standing on your word. It's harder to be a believer today than it was 10 years ago, than it was 20. It's only going to get harder because the wicked are having more and more leverage because justice is perverted. The courts are perverted and the kings of the earth are all in cahoots together against the mighty Elohim. This is the world of Habakkuk. This is the world of Matthew Nolan. This is your world. This is the world of which we live. What happens when we find not only the culture indifferent to Yahuwah, but seemingly Yahuwah indifferent to the appalling sins of the culture? These are the arguments that I have when I'm in the word. And I'm like, well, I don't, where's the judgment then? Where is it then? Am I the only one with these kinds of questions? Surely not. Habakkuk was expecting Yahuwah's promises to kick in. I was expecting Yahuwah's promises to kick in. 
I thought Yahweh was going to shock Israel into repentance. Habakkuk thought that Yahweh was going to shock Israel into repentance. But his word has seemingly have none effect on them. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 14. It is written, so shall not, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day. Yes, this is the same Yahweh. The same Yahweh today, yesterday and tomorrow, right? He is not changing. This is what Yahweh said. Yet how does the wicked prosper when there's words like this in the Bible? Deuteronomy 28 verse 14. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of Yahweh your Elohim, to observe carefully all of his commandments and all of his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. This sounds like Yahweh is going to judge the wicked, does he not? Does it sound like that to you? Sounds like the wicked are just going to get it. Whether they're in the city or in the country, if they stray from Yahweh's words, he's going to get them, isn't he? This is what Habakkuk is like, well, hang on a minute. What's going on? Why is this not taken into effect? This is what the Torah said. Is the Torah slack? We're all Torah observant. But is the Torah slack? This is in the Torah. These are the questions that I have. Well, I tell you what happens to me. I tell you what happens to me. When I find not only the culture indifferent to Yahuwah, but seemingly Yahuwah Slack in his judgment on sin and depravity. I have a bit of a spiritual crisis. That's what I do. And I end up having to go back to my knees and cry out to Yahweh to help me to understand why these things are seemingly happening. Why Yahweh is seemingly slack on his judgment to a wicked culture. And Yahweh leads me. To the prophet Habakkuk and says, Matthew, you are not alone. You are not alone. And that's why I wanted to teach this book today. I'm not alone. And you are not alone. He is with us. Even when things don't quite make sense. I'm living in the meantime. And my faith is ever stronger. Even in the meantime. And so are you. But one thing that I am tired of, one thing that I am tired of, is the biblically illiterate spouting off that all sin is equal. And that we shouldn't judge their sin because it's just as bad as my sin and your sin. That sin is sin. Has anybody heard that? What hogwash. What absolute biblical illiteracy that somebody could even spout that off. All sin is not equal. We are commanded to judge certain kinds of sin. And that 
the wicked sin. It is nothing. My sin is nothing like the wicked sin. And your sin better be nothing in comparison to the wicked sin. Because all sin is not equal. And the Bible commands that we be discerners of the distinction. So this liberal twattle from believers. Oh, well, we should love this person and their sick, depraved sin. Because you're a sin. Asinine. Romans chapter 1. Verse 24. Let's read it together. This is the Bible. Wherefore Yahweh gave them up in the lusts of their hearts unto uncleanness. That their bodies should be dishonored among themselves. For that they exchanged the truth of Yahweh for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, Yahweh gave them up unto vile passions. For their women changed the natural use into what is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working unseemliness and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was due. And even... Even as they refused to have Yahweh in their knowledge, Yahweh gave them up unto a reprobate mind. Key phrase. Given up on. Become a class called a reprobate, which means no hope, going to burn in the judgment and be destroyed. For eternity destroyed. To do those things which are not fitting, being filled within all unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, hateful to Yahweh, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors. They fabricate things. They make stuff up. Inventors of evil things, disobedient to their parents. They don't even keep the Ten Commandments, all ten of them. They don't keep the Ten Commandments. Without understanding, they are covenant breakers. If you break one of the Ten Commandments, you break them all, right? Covenant breakers. Without natural affection, they are unmerciful. Who knowing the ordinance of Yahweh, they that also practice such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but also consent with them that, well, you know, it's sin and I'm a sinner and all sin's the same. Then guess what? You're just as guilty. You're a reprobate too. Oh, this is tough, isn't it? Well, as the world becomes more and more slack... And seemingly, Yahweh is slack with his judgment because he's long-suffering. You and I had better get tighter with the parameters of what is holy, fit, and righteous, and what is despicable. Because if you and I don't make our boundaries clear, you might just find yourself on the side of judgment because you approve of those that do such things. The Bible is very clear 
All sin is not equal. So hopefully that puts to bed the silliness that I hear from believers. Some sin is worthy of death. Yet if you read Torah portion Mishpatim, which begins in Exodus chapter 21, and it has Exodus chapter 22 and Exodus chapter 23, you will see Mishpatim judgments. There are all kinds of sins there that are not leading unto death. So all sin is not equal, is it? Some sin has the death penalty. Some you just restore, repent and restore and be restored. Some is sin leading unto death. Exodus 21 to Exodus 23, Mishpatim. But those, but those that dishonor their bodies, those who worship the creation, they are another class of sinner. They are a class of sinner that is given over to vile passions. They are classified as given up on. And once you are given up on, you become what the Bible calls a reprobate. And a reprobate has no opportunity to turn to Yahuwah because they've actually been given up on. Now, this is a hard teaching for the liberal twattle out there, but I'm sick of hearing it. I'm sick of receiving the emails, oh, well, all sin is sin. We can't judge one another. No, a little bit of judgment sometimes is needed, especially when Yahweh is seemingly slack on the judgment that believers need to what? Judge one another and judge the outside world so it doesn't come into our midst, Right? We've got to be discerning in these wicked, dark days. Look, I'm not saying that I don't sin. And you don't. Because the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, that the righteous man, like Habakkuk, sins seven times daily. Seven times daily. The righteous man falls seven times daily. But he is not involved in the covenant-breaking descriptive sins of a reprobate in Romans chapter 1. That's a whole nother classification that is different. That's the classification that the Assyrian culture is fanning and bringing forth. They want you to accept it. They want your children and your grandchildren to think it's normal. No, that's another classification called reprobate. Yes, the righteous sin seven times, but they're not doing those types of things. There's a distinction in the Bible. There's a distinction in the Bible. The righteous man that sins seven times daily does not dishonor his body. He does not worship the creation. He does not exchange the natural use of his body for what is not fitting. The righteous man does not refuse to retain Yahuwah in his thoughts. And the righteous man is not filled with the descriptives of a covenant breaker. Let me be clear on that. Read your Bibles and stop spouting off this liberal twattle. Please, 
please, I beg of you, stop excusing reprobates. Just because the Assyrian culture is fanning it and saying, oh, well, we're all sinners. Yes, we are all sinners, but we are not all reprobates. Make the distinction so that you will end up standing before the creator in white garments as you walk upon the ashes of the wicked underfoot. Malachi explains that very, very concisely. Reprobates are going to be tormented with whips and chains and they will be destroyed In a fiery death because all sin is not equal in the Bible. That was a side note. But it's very important that we understand. Does it please me? No. Is it a surety? Yes. But it doesn't please me. But it's a surety and it's written. So therefore it is so. Psalm 13 verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? These are the questions that I have. That Habakkuk has. Jeremiah 12.1. Yahweh, Yahweh, let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? These are some of the things that I want to share with you. That the prophets before me wanted to share with you. These are important things. I thought Yahweh was going to intervene with the great tribulation over a decade ago. I thought Yahweh was going to intervene when Obama became president. I thought Yahweh was going to intervene when I stood outside the White House and they lit it up with rainbow colors. I thought, how can Yahweh's judgment remain slack in the midst of a crowd of reprobates? How can this be so? I thought Yahweh was going to dramatically intervene just like he did in Egypt. And I'm awaiting for our deliverance. Are you? Jeremiah 47 verse 6. Oh, you sword of Yahuwah, how long until you are quiet? Put yourself up into your scabbard. Rest and be still. But like you, like Habakkuk, I've remained consistent in my appeal to Yahuwah. Consistent. Even in my disappointments. Consistent in my faithfulness, even at times when it seemed in vain. And along the way, I've experienced miracles. I've seen babies healed miraculously before my eyes. I've seen the sick healed. I've cast out demons. I've seen lives changed. I've seen people transformed. And now, and now at this stage, At this stage, I get to see the ingathering of the tribes through this amazing Malkitzedic message. Which 10 years ago wasn't even on my radar. How could this be so? Because Yahuwah, who seems slack in his judgment, is long-suffering and merciful. And he's waiting. He's waiting. 
He's patient. So in response to Habakkuk's plea, Yahuwah finally, finally responded with the Chaldeans. They would be his instrument of judgment. Well, Yahuwah's going to raise up a nation. It's going to be the sword of Islam. And that will be his instrument of judgment upon the nations. And you're starting to see that now. You're starting to see that now. And the nations will be afraid. Great fear and trepidation will fall upon them. But what the hey? I mean, sometimes it just astounds me. What do we do when the cure then seems worse than the disease? Because that's what it's going to be like. You see, the cure of the Chaldeans seemed actually worse than the disease of what was happening in Judah. And Habakkuk is then like, Yahuwah, this is the cure? It's worse than the... And this is what you and I will say. You think it's bad now? Well, Yahuwah's cure is going to be way worse than the disease. Way worse than disease. Heaven forbid, but it will. Then what will you do as you're living in the meantime? I'm preparing you for this. Because it's a surety. As with the Chaldeans, so with us. The great tribulation is the cure. But it will appear much worse than our present situation, which is a disease. Right? The civilization that we live in is diseased. It's dying. It's sick. But the great tribulation is the cure, and it is going to seem a lot, a lot worse. See, this cure of the Chaldeans only added to the prophet's distress. As will the tribulation only add to you and I's distress. I've come to realize that too in recent years. We, like Habakkuk, need to fully understand that the events of history are not dependent upon blind fate but by the righteous and holy Yahuwah in the Bible. We wait expectantly, don't we? On Yahuwah, we wait expectantly. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 15. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life with his wickedness. I see it all the time. It bothers me and troubles me immensely. Because I go, well, why am I doing this? Why am I? I said it to my wife driving here today. Why do I keep doing this, honey? This is a thankless, thankless job. She's like, oh, I know, she said, but the prophets. I'm like, oh, yes, the prophets, the prophets, me and the prophets, you and the prophets. Well, things didn't always go well for the prophets. I don't know if I want to be compared to the prophets. Do you? Yes, we have a righteous man who sins seven times, I'm saying eight, seven times daily. Job 21 verse 17, it is written, How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? Or does their calamity fall upon them? Does Yahuwah apportion destruction in his anger? Some of the things that I get to hear in my secular job and get to witness, I'm like, I would be terrified to do those things. 
Because I would be afraid of the judgment. But they seemingly get away with it. Seemingly. Right? That's the key word. And then we try to do something and put in a righteous judge. Well, more righteous than the wicked, right? With Judge Kavanaugh. And look, everybody, it it turns into a circus. Job 9.24, the earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of the judges. If it is not he, then who is it? I've got to admit, I'm not perfect. And I've been envious. I've sat in front of state and federal review boards quite a lot in the past five years. And Psalm 73, verse 3, has plagued me. It has. For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, like me, who's often hauled before them, like you. Nor are they plagued, like regular men. Why is it the wicked continually prosper? I've been distressed about it. I have. And quite honest, I've wanted to talk to Yahuwah about the unfairness of it all. I've been kind of upset. And then Yahuwah says, now you teach the book of Habakkuk. And your misery will find company. A foolish man. Jeremiah 12.1 Righteous are you, O Yahuwah. And that is what I claim in my self-pity. Yahuwah corrects me and says, Now you'll teach the book of Habakkuk because I have qualified you to do it. Because I'm asked the same questions. I've been bothering me. The same things are bothering me, are bothering you. Righteous are you, O Yahuwah, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? I sat down with a friend of mine this week. We've known each other for 25 years. And I said, you know, I don't know if I'm going through a midlife crisis. He's like, I'm going through a midlife crisis. We're the same age. I'm like, you are? He's like, yes. I said, well, maybe I am too. I'm like, things just didn't quite turn out the way I thought they would. He's like, me too. I said, you know, when we were like in our 20s and we were talking about the future and, you know, and he's, he's a Bible believer too. We're both like here in our late 40s, you know. It didn't quite turn out, did it? I said, look at me. I said, well, I said, where are you going to church? He's like, well, you know, I'm not going anywhere now. He said, I tried, but they're so judgmental. I said, oh, I know, I know. There's a lot of misjudgment. And the couple are like a couple of old ladies just nattering on about them, you know, the disappointments in our faith and how things haven't quite worked out the way. And and our 40s aren't quite what we thought, you know. And here we are. Living in the meantime. Right? Living in the meantime. 
It's pretty miraculous. Because I tell you what, I never ever would have anticipated or thought the life that I have now. But the opportunity to be in this faith, who could have even fathomed what this faith was back then when we were doing all of the pagan stuff? I didn't even have any comprehension of it. And still there is more to come. More to come. The goodness of Yahweh is still being poured out upon us. But at times it's made me wonder. It really has. Why on earth do I put my wife and my kids through this? Why do I put myself, my family through this? The constant attacks. The constant criticism. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 14. There is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. These are the verses that I have been petitioning Yahweh with that I now share with you. These are my struggles. My disappointments. These are Habakkuk's struggles. These are Jeremiah's. These are Solomon's. These are the struggles of the righteous. In any generation. In every generation. You guys aren't alone. You're not alone. We are not alone in our struggles. I mean, Habakkuk is on point on this subject, is he not? Especially in this day in which you and I live. Come on, surely I cannot be the only. Am I talking to myself? He is on point on this subject. He truly, truly is. Look at verse 13. Your eyes are too pure. To approve of the Yahweh cannot approve of this wickedness, can he? Then why is he slack on his judgment? Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Especially those that deal treacherously with your servant, Yahweh, me. They should get the judgment surely quickly, Yahweh. I sin only seven times daily. Yet they that malign me, where is the judgment on them? Right? Surely you've had these... Am I the only one who has these conversations with Yahuwah? No. I'm not, because Habakkuk did too. Which is why I have to teach this. Because this makes no sense to me. Why I would be teaching this book. I was going to go into the book of Revelation. Yahweh said, take pause. I have an answer for your questions. I know another one like you. His name is Habakkuk. Now you shall teach his word. Because you understand it. Because your complaining is the same. You complainer. Self-pity. Futility. As the wicked seem to prosper. And my judgment seems to be slack.
Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, verse 13. And you cannot look upon the wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? You see, I am sick and tired of the arrogance and high-handed affront to Yahuwah. And I want to defend him. I do. I want to defend Yahuwah against the arrogant, the backslidden. They're really beginning to just grate on my nerves. And then Malachi comes into point. Verse 15 of chapter 3. So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers, doers of wickedness built up, but they also test Elohim and escape. And Habakkuk and me find ourselves now in the company of Malachi, as so do you. Then I just have to remember, I have to have the long view recipe. Integrity. Honesty. Holiness. Patience. Because... Job says in the 20th chapter in the 5th verse, the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the godless is momentary. You see, I've got to have the long view recipe. I've got to have the long view recipe. As with Ezekiel, answers to our struggles and problems often come through visions to which Habakkuk was actually a recipient. We have the word we have the word given to us to understand those visions and to overcome affliction to guide us. It is a sure and solid word, a prophetic vision that shines in this dark world to enable us to see through to the dawning of the day. First Thessalonians 1 verse 6, it is written, And ye became followers of us and of the Master, having received the word in much affliction. Right? James chapter 1 verse 21, it is written, Receive with meekness this thing here. It's called the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Because if it wasn't for the word, we'd all be reprobates. Second Peter 1 verse 19, it is written, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that we take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. We are the generation. We are the generation that has been ordained to live in between. That's your law. That's my law. We live in between the dawning of the day and the last days. That's where we live. That's where we live. We might not get all the answers to our painful questions. But we will learn how to live a covenanted life in the here and the now. Although Yahweh says that his ways, 
in fact, may be inscrutable. His purposes, they are consistent. They culminate in real life for the faithful. But woe and death to the arrogant and the self-sufficient. Really. Ponder these things as we go through the book of Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk, like us, he knew that ultimately, Yahweh would act like he did way back at the Exodus. I know Yahweh is going to act like he did back at the Exodus. The prophecies tell us so. I know that Yahweh has revealed to us things from the mountain. That we are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, after the order of Malkitzedek. That priesthood, that was ordained, ordained at the mountain. I see that Yahuwah is a cyclical Elohim, and that he will act. As he did back at the Exodus, as he did back at Mount Sinai. He awaits for our response. And Yahuwah awaits Triumph. Because triumph is coming. Triumph over nature. Triumph over nations. But he wants triumph over your soul. Triumph over my soul. So that we'd live in the spirit. Because it's my soul that vexes me. It's my soul that has self-pity. It's my soul that says unto Yahweh, Why do the wicked prosper? But then Yahweh ministers to me in the spirit. And he says, now go teach the book of Habakkuk. And I'm enjoying it today. Because this is an answer to my pain. And maybe some of yours pain too. Because things didn't quite turn out on the timeline that we expected. Things didn't quite turn out on the timeline. That we anticipated. And the Torah. Is it slack? Is it slack? Habakkuk's message in actuality. Is a foundational text. For us living out our faith. In a sick and twisted world. Paul knew it's key message. Paul knew. He meditated daily on Habakkuk's message. He knew that sin was incompatible with Yahuwah's holiness. Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Behold his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But the just shall live. By his faith. Habakkuk's message actually reveals how Yahweh will deal with the incompatibility of sin and holiness. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. For wherein is the righteousness of Elohim revealed from faith to faith? Now Paul quotes this very scripture in Habakkuk. As it is written... The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of Elohim is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And even as they did not like to retain Elohim in their knowledge. 
Elohim gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So yes, I'm sure Habakkuk had to listen to some twaddle too and correct it, just as I've had to listen to some twaddle too and correct it today. But you know what? Things didn't quite turn out for Rav Shaliak Shaul as he anticipated. It didn't quite turn out to that student of Gamliel, a Pharisee of Pharisees from the tribe of Benjamin. Didn't quite turn out all the glory that he thought would come to him. Did it? He was living in the meantime. And did his testimony, is it a good testimony? It is the most amazing testimony. But he's a man who was troubled like you. And like me. And like Habakkuk. Because things didn't quite work out for him the way he thought. People judged him, misjudged him, aligned and maligned him. They wanted to cast him out. They did cast him out. They would have stoned me as they would have stoned him. Oh, there are so many that would love to cast the first stone at me. And that's the life that I have to live and you have to live in the meantime. That's why Paul constantly and continually quoted Habakkuk, Galatians 3.11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of Elohim. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the book of the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. See, Paul was taking us back to the Exodus and Sinai because he knew that the true faith would work through the things that are coming upon the nations and that they would be a raised up priesthood and that they would be the righteous that would be recipients of the promises to Abraham. Hebrews 10 verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man go back into the smooth paths, the things that are comfortable, Embrace the Assyrian culture, the Habakkuk. Then guess what? My soul shall have no pleasure in him. Oh, well, let's just go and minister to the church. Let's compromise the message. Let's compromise a little bit, just a little bit to make it a little bit more, you know, less Hebraic. They're not listening anyway. Don't compromise. Don't ever compromise. Peace at any cost is compromise. Perseverance is what Yahweh wants. Perseverance and obedient trust in Yahweh provides for a meaningful existence in the world during our present age. We who live in between, between the already of initial fulfillment of Yahweh's promise and the not yet of their final realization. That's where we live. We live between the already of Yahweh's initial fulfillment with the resurrection of Yahusha and the not yet of their final realization. We live in between. But in between is where we live.
We have to accept that. We live in a society that's unchecked wickedness results in not only a divided society, but a divided faith community where the culture has infiltrated many believers and resulted in a divided community riddled with suspicions, accusations, misjudgments, and personal attacks. We're to bishop our own souls. Not to bishop other people's souls. Bishop your own soul. You won't have any business bishoping somebody else's soul. Bishop your own soul. That's all we're called to do. There's enough, enough to do in here without me trying to worry about what you're doing out there. Bishop your own soul. I'll bishop my own soul and let's come together in Yahweh. And like Habakkuk, we have to seek to change the equation with a consistent devotion and appreciation of Yahweh's divine favor and blessings in our lives. And our continued commitment. Are you committed? I'm committed to prophecy and to prophesy. I'm committed to continue to prophesy the word of Yahweh amongst the pagan nations until their final realization. Are you? I'm committed to it, regardless of the cost. Verse 4 of chapter 1. Therefore the Torah is slack, the law is slack, and mishpat, judgment, does not go forth. For the wicked do enclose around us, don't they? They do enclose around the righteous. Therefore wrong rulings do go forth. Even as we live, brethren, in a time when the traditions of men have indoctrinated the masses against the Torah and the preaching of the Torah. Well, that's not for us today. The law's done away with. The Torah is slack. It's not for us today. We go against that culture. We go against the worldliness, the Assyrian culture. We go against the traditions. And we hold true to our return. Because Yahweh has ordained it. He has ordained it. As I press in, as you press in, I realize that Habakkuk, it isn't primarily about the justice of Yahweh. Initially, I thought it was. But it isn't primarily about the justice of Yahweh. I began to see the whole text just kind of open up before my eyes. It's not primarily about the question of why does Yahweh seemingly reward the wicked and punish the just. That's really not the point of this book. I thought it was initially. Because those were my questions that were vexing me. Self-pity, Matthew. You see, you don't have to convince me that Yahweh is just. I know Yahweh is just. As a believer, I know that. But conversely, the unbeliever, the unbeliever all around us, they want Yahweh to justify his ways to them. Don't they? Well, I'm not going to believe in it. How can you believe in a God that could kill that little boy in India? How can you believe in a God that... Right? They want Yahweh to justify 
their ways to them, his ways to them before they believe. They're so full of unbelief. They want the creator to justify his ways to them. I don't need Yahweh to justify his ways to me. I know that he is just. I'm a believer. I know it. I know he is just. And he's the potter. And I am just the clay. Isaiah 29 verse 16 comes to mind. Ye turn things upside down, you heathen reprobates. You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be esteemed as clay? That the thing made should say of him that made it, he has not made it. Or the thing formed say to him that formed it, he hath no understanding. Justify yourself to me, creator. That's what the heathen says. You're the clay. He's the potter. No. It doesn't work that way. They're so far gone. This book. To conclude. This is just the introduction, by the way. <laughs> I didn't say that, did I? This is the introduction to Habakkuk. This book is actually about the purposes of Yahuwah. That's what it's about. It's about the purposes of Yahuwah and the realization of his will for this world. Not my will for this world, not your will for this world, but Yahuwah's will for this world. It's a book about the promises made to Abraham that are realized by his end time descendants scattered in the nations. That's you. That's you. That's you. That's you. Scattered out there in the nations. You're realized by this prophecy. It's a book about the providence of Yahuwah and how he's keeping his book of the covenant promises to the descendants of Abraham who live in between the revelation of Yahusha and the final realization of it, Revelation 12. This has a universal and timeless validity that's made a witness to every age. The book of Habakkuk. It has been quoted in every age. From the Apostle Paul all the way through to the sermons of the Reformation. When the fire charred the souls of the saints that were shackled and chained to the smoldering stakes of Bloody Mary's sacrificial altar. And they cried out the same cries as you and I cry out. In some, Habakkuk is a book about faithful saints. In whatever era, whatever era, who find themselves living in the meantime. That's us. We're living in the meantime, in the time between the revelation of Yahushua the Messiah and his impending return. It's a time of which the prophets inquired. And I'll finish up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Of this salvation, Habakkuk has inquired and searched carefully.
who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time, the Ruach of Mashiach, the Spirit of Messiah, who was in them, Paul, Rav Shaliak Shaw, had the Spirit, the Ruach of Messiah in him when he was living in the meantime. When he was quoting the very words of the prophet Habakkuk. Was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Messiah and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you. Through those who have preached the Besorah, the gospel to you. By the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, sent from the heavens things which Malachim, angels, desire to look into. That's the reality of the prophet Habakkuk's message. That you and I are the very ones that he wrote to. Testified by Peter, testified to you today. This is an exciting journey. Yes, things haven't quite turned out the way you and I thought. But my faith is strong. And yours is strong. As it is strengthened as we live in the meantime. And yes, the wicked seem to prosper. Seem to prosper. Yes, Yahweh's judgment seemingly is slack. But there's a purpose, is it not? For those of us... The righteous shall live by his faith in the meantime. Next week, we'll dive into chapter 1, into this prophetic message. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and grant you shalom. In the name of Yahushua the Messiah. Yevarechacha Yahweh vayishmarecha. Yeyer Yahweh panavelecha vichunecha. Yesa Yahweh panavelecha vayasim lecha. Lecha shalom. Amen.